Discograffiti, the music podcast that delivers the objective truth about the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed. I'm your host, Dave Gebro, and in this episode, we'll be turning our spray cans on the Jesus Lizard, along with our very special guest, No Ages Randy Randall. This is part one of a two-part series. If you're tuning in for the first time, I quit my job a couple months back while putting the Pavement series together because I do it all. From obtaining the guests, doing all the social media, all the recording and editing, you name it. We're a year in and there's a real audience building. Tens of thousands of downloads in 70 countries, consistently ranked in the top 30 music commentary podcasts. And so now I'm in free fall mode on a serious mission. So why am I telling you this? Because I'm doubling down on Discograffiti. My wife and I are in the process of selling our house and we'll be driving to the East Coast this winter to live frugally with our four-year-old and all of that just to ensure that Discograffiti is the standard bearer for all that's awesome about music. So don't go anywhere when this episode's done. Subscribe. Coming up, we have Trip to Fantasy, the two and a half hour greatest sleep albums of all time, Holiday Supermix, premiering on Christmas Day, not to mention soul-bearing interviews with the Wrecking Crew's legendary Don Randy and Foxygen's Jonathan Rado, Sergio Diaz from Os Mutantis rating his own early work, and on and on and on, way, way into the future. Here's what I'd love for you to do. Check out all the back episodes and share the ones you dig with your friends. Go ahead and tag me too. Also, join our Facebook group, Discograffiti Soldiers of Sound. We're on Instagram and Twitter too, in case you don't mess with the Zuck. Also, please rate the podcast five stars, along with a beautifully worded review, especially if you're listening to the show on good old Amazon Music, or Spotify, and anywhere else for that matter. It'll help a lot. You can find the link to our legendary playlist in the show notes and also on our website at discograffiti.com. And if you're like me and enough's just never enough, then visit patreon.com slash discograffiti and become one of our Patreon soldiers of sound. Our Patreon feed is the ultimate music deep dive. I post three shows a week. The main show on Sunday, then Discograffiti's The Private Press with Paul Major on Tuesdays, and a Thursday wildcard episode, which is either an interview with that week's guest or one of our other offshoot shows like Rock Cousteau, Queasy Listening, and Battle Royale. So hey, try it for a month, you've got nothing to lose. Okay, back to business. First things first, you need to know just how seriously I take this craziness. Discograffiti is heavily researched and the music is always reassessed with fresh ears, even the bad stuff. We're not just covering albums, uh-uh. We do a searingly honest deep dive analysis of all EPs, singles, comp tracks, relevant solo work, and bootlegs. Every release is slapped with an objectively accurate star rating between zero and five, which allows us all the real reason we do this the Tootsie Pop reward at the center of the rock and roll lolly to come face to face with the true shape of an artist's overall arc. And away we go then with Randy Randall as we climb the serrated, razor sharp edges of Mount Jesus Lizard. Uncompromising, real deal, buzzsaw confrontationalists turned massive success story in the major label's collective perennial intent to kill anything that's perfectly irreducible and unable to be replicated. And speaking of an unreplicable irreducibility, as far as I'm concerned, tonight's guest is a contender for recipient of Daydream Nation's past baton. Emanating from the LA club, The Smell, and boom, just like that, you've witnessed the latest and an endless chain of lazy journalistic references to which this dude and his pressiverse bro, Dean Allen Spunt, have been hogtied for the better part of 16 years. All things being fair, it's a pretty unavoidable association due to the incendiary brutality of his particular art punk slant. But our guest knows that at the end of the day, he's just like me, a skin bag spilling over with old moldy notions of who we once were as our little dudes hijack the remote and make us watch goddamn Blippy and all other manner of horrifyingly charmless toddler figureheads. 
kids. I'm guessing over his last eight kid having years that he's taken great pains to find those areas within himself that he can seal off behind him as he hides deep, deep inside. And that those narcotized interior spaces are beginning to tilt towards ambience inclusive beauty. At least if one is to use his 2019 solo release and new no age jam as criteria for judgment. But then to go right ahead and request an episode covering the evisceratingly family unfriendly touch and go touchstone that you did makes me realize that you must actively hate me sir so lads and ladies out in the most art damaged punk fucked corners of discographityville please won't you always sing it's the beginning of a no age whenever you meet this guy as revenge for making my family endure yow's howl for the good part of two solid weeks it's no ages rockin and venerable axe man knob twiddler and weirdo ripper papa to a three and eight year old randy randall <laughs> Wow, David, thank you so much. Thanks You're for welcome. having me. Holy <laughs> I was trying to remember the um the introduction that uh that David Yao gives on their live record show. It was an honor to play here at uh, the CBGBs in such a relaxed and uh conducive atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me, man. This this certainly is a uh an, an, a quite the undertaking, and I am in no way, shape, or form authorized by anybody to uh to to rank these records i i do not have any uh <laughs> jurisdiction or authority to judge anything that this amazing band has done i say that just as a disclaimer get that out of the way right up That's front that I, bullshit. As a disclaimer, <laughs> I, I have to tell you that you're you know you're totally underestimating your own capabilities in this area if anything I'm the guy who needs to come clean because in the in the one year I, we've been doing this, and I say we to make it sound bigger than it is, it's me. Yeah. In the one year that I've been doing this, I've never done a band, except maybe for Stevie Nicks, which was a, a request that I wasn't familiar with at all. The only song I knew was Mouth Breather. Oh, wow. Okay, so you had a lot to take on. A lot, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I came to Jesus Lizard in the early '90s. I mean, I'm I'm 41 now, and so uh, like many people of my age, um, uh, Nirvana Nevermind, you know, was took me from you know listening to Do the Bartman and MC Hammer's Adam's Family Value soundtrack to wearing ripped jeans and uh, you know sporting a flannel in the middle of summer in Southern California. Right. With that, my, you know, the, the floppy haircut was shaved underneath and parted in the middle and, um, and just, just ate up everything that kind of came from that world. And so I kind of went from, you know, Nirvana to Sonic Youth to uh, My Bloody Valentine and, and at the side of it, there was, you know, sort of helmet. And then Jesus Lizard sort of dropped in my lap with the uh, the single the first the first release of theirs I had was this the single or EP uh, Lash I yeah. had that on CD and that just opened me wide up the the song Monkey Trick I think was like right. you know of of that like of, of the Pantheon I just spread out you know certainly it was not um, you know Fox uh, Children's music and nor was it really you know Nirvana or Sonic Youth or My Bloody Valentine it was something else entirely and I was not familiar with you know the releases of the birthday party or scratch acid or you know that 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 little discordant you know sort of chugging along kind of notion of music had not really been introduced into my atmosphere and so i plugged uh jesus lizard into that sort of syncopated abrasive confrontational yet you know head head trippy kind of math rock meets art damaged sort of vibe that just it just locked me in early and so i it was they were the band i judged everything else against in that regard in terms of you know piercing guitar sounds pummeling syncopated drum sounds yowling from you know professor yao it was all yeah. the bass you know rumble everything i was like they they sort of were the template that i judged most music from you know really even you know for the rest of my life they were so they are were you just discovering this stuff as it's coming out or in retrospect I would think so somewhere. I mean, so I'm looking here, you know, I, I don't have the dates tattooed onto my brain, but I'm looking with the help of the never wrong, infallible um, Wikipedia. And I see Lash came out in 93. So that sounds just about right. Because what we, we put Nirvana, what, at 91, 92? Yeah, Maybe 91 is never mind. Yeah. So, so, if I, so I'm 10 years old. 
in, in 91, 10, 11. That sounds about right. Somewhere I bet 92. Oh, so okay. So you're actively as a 10, 11 year old seeking out this kind of stuff. Was this, I mean, had you, Weird music, had, yeah. had you already discovered Funhouse? No, no, no. So Stooges came, I had a, I had a retroactively insert that into my brain. Um, so I have two older brothers. They're born in 68 and 69. Or, yeah, 16, 69, my older brothers from my mom's first marriage, so like half brothers, but we were raised together. Okay. And my oldest brother, Sam, who was a, a skateboarder, guitar player, music uh, fanatic. And, and my and my other brother, Dave, he was also a big music fanatic, but he leaned more on the, the Jane's Addiction, you know, kind of um, psychedelic cults, you know, uh, the band, the cults, you know, and these, you know, it, he went a little more metal with his likings, where Sam was very like um of the time you know late 80s into the 90s kind of paisley underground into um you know the, the big explosion of alternative rock he was right there primed for that age tell your brother that only a couple days ago i described the cult to my wife as uh metal for chicks yes yeah <laughs> that's that's not far off yeah my brother dave had the big long hair and the leopard shirts and stuff whereas my other you know that so he was into that zone and he was a good looking guy he was a surfer and then sam was a little bit shorter and he was hard of hearing and he actually ended up passing when he was 25 oh. um but um but he was a very unique kind of person sam was his own person of his own making and so he wore you know co uh, converse chucks and skated in them and you know i have pictures of him up here in the studio big Susie and the banshees t-shirt oh. you know with uh you know chinos and so he was a cool so i really so sam was really my, my main musical influence and so whatever he put on i just took as gospel so i was very much so as a, you know as a young kid so they graduated in 88 from high school so i was seven years old and my brother started a skateboard shop in a small town with my mom my mom you know took out a bank loan because my brother was you know had learning disabilities and stuff but he wanted to he wanted to open up a skate shop he couldn't really hack it in junior college but my mom thought you know him teaching him how to run a business would be good life skills for him yeah. and uh and it was and it was huge so i kind of grew up in this skateboard shop from 88 to 91 and in that i i you know just soaked up all of um you know uh pal peralta you know santa monica airlines uh world industries all this kind of stuff that was you know the music that came along that a lot of Minutemen, a lot of red hot chili peppers you know sort of stuff that was happening around that late 80s sort of alternative rock skate scene yeah. so that's kind of so i, I so i had a, I had a leg up on this stuff so i was a 10 year old by that point getting deeper into the <laughs> underground music scene wasn't i didn't jump in my first love really was the band white zombie i felt like they were the first band that i liked that my brother didn't like <laughs> understandably he probably had more taste than that but i felt like they were kind of right you know my sensibility as a you know as a 10 year old or nine year old 10 year old and uh and then, you know, like I said, you know, Nirvana sort of set the template and re reset all the chess pieces on the board. Let's introduce the characters in today's episode. Right. We've got David Yao on vocals, uh, Dwayne Dennison on guitar. Help me here. Is it David W.M. Sims? I think so. D okay, David W.M. Sims um, on bass. And then after the first record, uh, Mac McNeely on drums, <clears throat> who actually you know, becomes a key contributor. So, so Dwayne asked, asked David to play bass on some songs he wanted to record. That's okay. how, that's how there it started. And then Yao suggested instead that he sing and then have David play bass instead. They threw a name on the band, uh, started rehearsing a bunch of times with a drum machine. Yao and Sims moved to Chicago in 88. Denison followed the next year. You know, as far as an influence, uh, Nirvana, you know, never stops talking about him. Uh, Bill Keller, yeah. Mastodon, Henry Rollins, Helmet, Lydia Lunch, as are so many bands who never really made it. Uh, they're constantly talked about as an influence. Yeah. Do you know at what point their live show became the thing that it became? Was it immediate? I have no idea. I, I, I didn't see the first time I saw them was at Lollapalooza in 1994, which I remember being underwhelmed, not by them, but just didn't feel, I knew the record so well and it didn't really translate to a three o'clock in the afternoon, bright, sunny Irvine uh, festival, you know, band shell sort of vibe. I, I don't, yeah. it was not their fault, but I just think the environment was following mighty, mighty boss tones and oh, then going Lord. into, into Beck, I think, you know, <laughs> so it wasn't really, it wasn't the way I wanted to see them, but that was the first right. time I saw them. And then, and then the next year I saw them at, um, at the Roxy, which is a small club, maybe like 500 capacity club in, in Hollywood. Um, and so that'd have been 95, I think maybe on the, uh, down tour. 
but that was incredible and that was the experience i was looking for that was right right blew my my hair off my head you know at the end of everything after i had all my notes i've got like 30 pages of notes here <clears throat> after i had everything all done i said almost as an afterthought to myself you know i i should probably go back and see what their live show was like oh wow and then i was like okay i, I guess i gotta spend some time here so you did the donut without the hole the, exactly the, the, yeah there's yeah. the live things so so and so i say lash is where i started and then from there before getting goat or liar i got show which again it probably was the new thing that was coming out you know as it as it came out in 94 here i'm looking um and it's a the cover which you've uh, you texted me earlier about how great their covers are it's just <laughs> david yeah it's like hairy uh, stomach you know right, um right. but the that record or that cd i, I should say the um that live cd show yeah. i think was is probably the one that's tattooed onto my brain the hardest and where oh. i know th i know those versions of the songs and it was recorded live at cbgb's and again i had to put this at together after i didn't know i didn't know what cbgb's was at the time i just like this band right. but they were they were played in between don caballero and the damned like okay. what a lineup that would have been right yeah yeah i saw a clip uh when i was doing research on this uh, a video of uh online of them performing in 1994 and yao gets hit so fucking hard with a beer bottle <laughs> that it shatters completely like it explodes he goes down and literally within three minutes he's not just back up they're playing again wow yeah. um and you know that's it's kind of amazing and he was he was frequently performing completely naked uh he lit himself on fire once once in switzerland he jumped off the stage nobody caught him and he knocked himself <laughs> unconscious uh, you know this is gg allen was probably the last guy who performed like that. <laughs> i was just thinking too like i was like oh i can see where the comparison you know who else do you compare that to but like a gg allen type right however i have to say that if that's all there was, there's it's it's a thin premise, right? I think Gigi Allen totally. musically Gigi Allen is, sucked. Is, yeah, it's it's not it's not that's not the interesting part. Like the music and the musicianship and the other three guys in the band were head and shoulders above so many other players at that time. And the and that 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 core trio of them together, yeah. you know, just was 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 incendiary and explosive and that would have been enough i think to become the band that they were however you put yao's kind of uh a visceral you know um body horror you know antics yeah. on top of this insanely tight uh melodic uh taut tension filled you know uh compositions and there's where it goes to you know legendary status you know yeah, it goes they, from being they, a fucking tight amazing awesome band to just this legendary what the fuck did i just experience kind of moment that yeah. you know i would say road rival something like the stooges right yeah so i would yeah. go closer to iggy than than uh gg allen right where i think iggy's oh, thing of peanut butter and glass and cutting himself and this kind of body horror sort right. of performance art i think yeah it was more in that vein than sticking the microphone up his asshole and and shooting drugs into his right mind. right right i mean yeah because he had nothing to back up the whole thing with but uh mm -hmm. or gg that that is um yeah so, um, okay, so moving moving into this thing, yeah. um, you know, to get back to the run-up. So Yao and Sims moved to Chicago in 88. Dennison follows the next year. Their first EP, uh, which is called Pure, was recorded by Albini and released by Touch and Go in 89. It's the only record by the band that uses a drum machine, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I think all uh, Albini's projects, you know, at that time, his bands had, you know... Um, drum machine so i think that it would make sense yeah you know, they were sort yeah, of yeah. coming from that world mac comes on board and plays uh the first live show with with the band all together uh july 1st 1989 but most importantly to move into phase one steve albini recorded the, the first four albums head goat liar and down let's move into phase one raw as fuck 1989 to 1994 the first release is a single of the song chrome and man do i love this song it's it, it's <laughs> yeah. so good there's nothing 
like over elaborate about it it kind of feels like chuck berry goes punk yeah nothing complicated just good old basic mud flecked rock and roll muck about just fucking like detroit mc5 by way of speedball basements of the collective unconscious nicely said that's poetic i would say this is the blueprint they built on this and things got more elaborate but you know i i give this four and a half stars i think i'm coming at it from a fan so it's either fucking awesome or eh those are about right. those are the those are the two um categories i have so i mean so chrome goes into into the fucking awesome category i'm sorry yeah. I'm, I'm not yeah. moving forward till you give me some kind of stuff oh, oh sorry. okay let's go four then because uh, there's more right. to come then then we're moving into the pure ep mm -hmm. <clears throat> which i am not as impressed by as I, I didn't love it i didn't yeah. it was a weak spot for me right so let's talk about the background of this thing uh it's their their first big release only only record by these guys with a drum machine so like i said i got this on the cd uh, where it was put with a uh, head and pure was kind of tacked on the end and yeah i remember really liking the head stuff and then i was like why does a cd get weird at the end right. it goes into these kinds of things and it just didn't it just didn't fit i think you know mac is, is such a huge part of what i like and love this band so yeah. uh yeah so i'm gonna i'm putting these at like two <sighs> two on the five scale right yeah the stars yeah yeah I, I give it two and three quarters let's break it down like to me there's a there's a couple of uh, decent tracks at first mm -hmm. and then it just kind of it kind of goes to shit but they're they're poking around trying to find their things so right yeah uh, i mean you think it's it's nice from an archival sort of perspective you can kind of get a sense of where does you know an album like goat come from you know or where does right. this band come from and you kind of can see the sketches and sort of some of the early sort of scratchings people like to say seminal when it's not good <laughs> right so uh all right so the first song blockbuster is actually not even sung by Yao. the mumbled spoken word stammerings of uh, david sims can i give a note on on david sims please i i so you know i, I talked about moving into hollywood in 99 and there was the uh, the bowling lane uh their bowling alley where the big lebowski was filmed yeah this was you know it was on santa monica boulevard and i remember going there in high school it was a it was a you know place that was fun to go to and with a very lax um sort of car policy <laughs> if you know you know like the bartenders yeah. didn't look at you it didn't look at you for too long it was a two dollar budweiser who gives a shit right <laughs> and so this was concerned of the time so i would go there in high school and then once i moved to hollywood it was you know we'd go there all the time and my roommate played in this band choke bore at that at that time who was kind of uh, an amrep band kind of akin to Jesus lizard in some ways but um he w i was going there with him i was tagging along as a little brother and so i was I, I mentioned after my brother passed i was i was sort of adopted by some of his friends you know as their kind of you know token little brother so anyway i got to go to the bowling alley and i met uh david sims he we bowled together oh, and i nice. remember being you know whatever i was 18 and drinking beer and bowling with david sims and then I, and then at the end of the thing i was the driver because everybody else was was too drunk and i probably was shouldn't have been driving but um but david sims needed a ride the rest of the party kind of needed a ride. i think they'd all taken cabs because they were visiting and so i got to drive him to his hotel or apartment or wherever he was staying and so i remember being very very starstruck early on i was like wow this is what living in hollywood is like <laughs> and you uh, thought you, you thought you'd made it i mean that was it there was bowling no bowling at the big lebowski alley with david sims at 18 drinking two dollar budweiser's epitome of like i didn't think life could get any better than that you were much that farther point. ahead than i was at that point <laughs> yeah I, I felt very I, I was aware of the, of the rare air i was breathing. <laughs> okay anyway begin yeah david sims sings on blockbuster dig, did you dig for clues about the recording of blockbuster i was doing my best to play it cool <laughs> I, mean, I don't think so I, I mean whatever that was i'm sure wasn't great and like i said probably you know a couple two two budweiser buzz going on in my head i was just trying doing yeah, the best yeah. to not shit my pants every time i you know uh, bowled a, a gutter ball <laughs> trying, trying, to, trying to look cool like, am i cool yeah, do i look yeah. cool am i still cool how, how can you help but but not look cool at 18 years old? <laughs> no no <laughs> I, was, I was all acne and, and bad uh, mustache well i will tell you and I, i'm gonna get back to this but your video for eraser it perennially and eternally puts you in the cool category i mean that is one of the coolest pieces of film and audio i've ever oh cool uh but I'll, well i'll definitely get back to that okay okay i just watched it again yesterday i oh, showed it funny. to my three-year-old and i was like <laughs> and it takes a lot for him yeah. to you know as you're well aware oh, oh yeah to have his attention pulled away from uh whatever he's watching and he uh at the second whatever the talcum powder is thrown on you yes guys, uh the second that happened he was all in <laughs> <laughs> how fun so, 
So Blockbuster, I think, is a, is a decent song. Bloody Mary is the other good one that I like. Bloody Mary is awesome. And they play that live. That goes on in, into their live set and goes on to other re- releases. When you were talking about that, the, the imprint, the thumbprint that Albini brings, you know, Bloody Mary sounds exactly like all of Albini's other work, especially the bass. It almost feels like they're imitating his template. It's a pretty cool song. Um, then the other three, just kind of whatever, Rabid Pigs. It's a good song to punch out windows to, but that's about that's about all I'd say. Starlet, bottom end stripped entirely bare off of the vocals. So it's just left as a like Iggy id growl. And then Happy Bunny goes fluff, fluff, fluff along. It's a, it, look, it's okay. Experimental sort of yeah. time, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing amazing. I like it. There was better to come. And I'm curious, does this count as pig fuck? And what is pig fuck? I don't know. I've heard that term. I don't like it. I don't either. Um, so I'm going to dismiss it as a genre of music. I'm not, I'm not into that kind of shit. I mean, I mainly am not into that title because I find pigs sexually repulsive. <laughs> I like pigs. I've, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a vegan and I've gone to like visit like, you know, those sanctuaries where they rescue pigs. They're beautiful. They're great. But that as a term, I think is just uh, feels derivative and kind of like, I don't know, like you like you don't want to say new metal. You don't want to say industrial or something, you know, it's like Primus. Is that what? No, no, I think I think it's it's, you know, I, I, I've, I've seen it applied to bands that, are, that sound like Jesus Lizard, but have an industrial kind of metal-y sort of thing. I'd, I, I think it's I think it debases, you know, the art of what it is. You know what I mean? I think that doesn't fit right to me. But it also probably points to the fact that most of the bands in this genre have no art to them. That's entirely possible. Because, you know, Jesus Lizard, it's more surprising than anything else. If you start reading the lyrics, okay, these guys are actually doing something that belies the the brutal one note aggression of their of their sound right right no and i think that's where you know i think yao adds a lot more than just you know the state there's the stage antics and everything but the lyrics and i just think their their entire conviction i think is is not this shock and awe horror show sort of thing i think they have you know musical composition talent obviously as yeah. well as you know this kind of energetic um thrust to them so i think there's there's more there than just it's not a single note sort of thing there, there is this kind of multi role type of experience that you could get from a band like this on record and live so these motherfuckers enter the 90s with a drummer and it winds up being a really good thing for them even though you know bands like big black they benefited from the drum machine these guys there was kind of a hole that Mac really filled. You know, Head takes things in a direction of growth. Kicking off with One Evening, the (laughs) guitar stabs, (laughs) it's just so hard. It feels like it's covered in leprosy scabs. I love Dwayne Dennison's playing because I think he does he does seven or eight or thirty different types of guitar playing. He's not a singular guitar player in that everything is rehashed and reheated sort of riffs or you know one note kind of you know he's not a, a you know, I think another band that you could kind of put somewhere, you know, it takes a little bit from PIL and uh-huh. that's, you know, sort of those sort of sparse stripped down guitar parts. But then there's, there's so much else. There's country, you know, you can do a country twang thing. He yeah. does these beautiful sort of like lush, um, you know, almost sort of uh, avant-garde classical type of guitar playing. Then he's, there's the, you know, real sparse. I don't know. I think he's kind of everywhere. And I think it's, it's, it's a really beautiful play between, um, David Sims and Dwayne, you know, where they, they, they cover it's, it's more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. A lot of the bands that uh, follow this kind of a thing where you have, you know, the music headed in one direction and then the singer laying something on top of it, there's a dissonance between what everyone's trying to do. It doesn't, it doesn't cohere. Mm-hmm. These guys, there's, you know, what, what takes it to the next level is that somehow they've managed to tie the whole thing together so it has a a singularity of purpose. Yep, well said. SDBJ. So this begins the first streak of great songs in their history, I think, which I I just imagine a South Dakota blowjob. It reminds me of Going Down to Florida by the Butthole Surfers. White indie insane persons twist on what blues would be like. It's a great piece of showmanship, and the the vocal performance at, at the center is the star of the show. My Own Urine, great one. The first bunch of times I heard My Own Urine, I didn't even know that 
that the song had officially started because it's kind of belched out from the end of SDBJ. It kind of yeah speaks to sort of the live show sort of setting where one song leads to the next to the next. Yeah. you know yeah you don't need a, uh, an applause break after every song. Conversely, I could easily slip this into a Halloween mix for my three year old, and <laughs> it wouldn't sound out of place. <laughs> you know they have the you know punch you in the face kind of stuff. Then they have that lumbering creepy crawly thing that used to happen in the nineties. Yeah. <clears throat> that lumbering heaviosity is a well that they come back to. Uh, not with as much regularity as the aggressive ones, but on every record there's at least a couple of those. It kind of serves as a nice uh a nice sort of reprieve from the pumping. Yeah. <clears throat> it's probably overemphasizing it to say it's texture. Because who knows if they even would think of a word like that. But yeah, it, it just gives it some variety. If you had lips, what's your, what are your thoughts on this? You know what? It's funny. I have to go back. I'm actually just, I have to listen to, to these again. I kind of, I, I, a lot of it starts to blend together. Seven versus eight. I love pastoral. I love killer McCann. Yeah. I think is my, is my favorite out of off the whole record. So it's like, I, some of these are kind of just, you know, I'll recognize if they come up, but I don't have them t dialed in. Usually there's like one reminder I'll throw down. So if you had yeah. lips mm -hmm. is the one with the uh, crazy mid song breakdown that's followed by Hey Shit Mouth. <laughs> yes. I, I'm, I'm pulling it up now in my headphones on my other headphones. Yeah, yeah. I love this opening riff, right? Like I love that yeah. kind of, again, that's that creepy crawly sort of stuff. Like, you yep. know, what's funny is I think about, you know, I, I love 80% of black flag and I think where, you know, where the process of weeding out goes, I know, you know, some people worship that, that era of it, but I always feel like, you know, this is more, if, if Greg wasn't so stoned, you know, maybe it had a kind of more of an amphetamine sort of addiction right. or just, or just let himself be the ADD wacko that he was without trying to self-medicate. Right. He might've come up with something like if you had lips, this is yeah. my favorite song on the record. This is a great song. Yeah. But as soon as I hear, as soon as I hear that opening riff, da -ding, da -ding, da -ding, da -ding, da -ding. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I love yeah, it. It really is. And, and I have a thing, I, you know, I have this thing that I've, I've always felt very, very passionately about, which is sort of a pet peeve, great solos that are accompanied and tagged and stamped by incredible lyrics. A great example, the one I always think of is Little Johnny Jewel. You know, Tom Verlaine saying, and then I lost my senses. Mm -hmm. before one of the most amazing guitar solos ever it, it's a comment on the guitar solo hey shit mouth belongs in the pantheon <laughs> <laughs> oh man i mean yeah I mean, what a what a just a tour de force too of i think like you know Dwayne dennison and all the things he does well wow, yeah. like it's a great song it is a it's a great and that kind of simple you know sort of those the solos yeah it just a builds it yeah. builds and builds and builds and the tautness and the tightness right this is where i think where they're really you know this is i would say you know by here they've they've defined what the Jesus lizard is yeah without a doubt it's just it's you know it's not quite goat but it, the template is much more cohesive here seven versus eight i don't like as much as you i think it's a more of a standard issue screamo kind of a thing i mean again you know i'm i'm so uh i'm, I'm so smacked in the head i don't know if i can have a you know a objective you know, everything is very subjective to when I was a kid. Hearing just these tell, things, me, I guess. Just tell me I'm wrong. Uh, you know, I, I'm willing to, I'm willing to, to hear the conversation and have a conversation about it. It's a little plodding, I guess I could say, you know what I mean? Whereas yeah, some yeah. other stuff has yeah. the, the taut tension and the explosion, the you know, tighten up and release kind of thing. This just kind of really? plods along, but this band up until down in my mind really can do no wrong. I'm not going to be right. great on, you know, I think, you know, I would, yeah, I won't get to the, the the rating just yet of it, but it's, you know, this is great. Yeah, yeah, so it, pastoral, uh, right? What do you think of pastoral? Pastoral is awesome. Because yeah. This reminds me of Codeine, mm -hmm. who I awesome. love. Um, yeah. And that early 90s, you know, now I look back and it's so quaint because the oh. world is such a piece of shit now. But in the <laughs> early 90s, we were looking around trying to find things to be upset about and, <laughs> you know, that, uh, you know, that indie, you know, boo-hoo-hoo kind of a thing. This has it that, that great descending guitar figure. Oh, it, it's it, it's a genius. great song. Yep, it's my favorite yeah. song on the second side. Okay, yeah. Do you have it on record, or how do you know the, the side breaks? Uh, ten songs. It's song number six. I'm gotcha. guessing. It's on the yeah, side. yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, for me, this is this is so much CD world. Yeah, yeah I don't. Sure. I, I've later gone back and gotten the records on reissues or found them. You know, but but forever. You know, these will be the things I had on the the disc man or the, or in the yeah, car. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, th yeah, that's when it came out. And that's, yeah. uh, you know, I can't even picture the the album artwork on a CD 
uh, or I'm sorry, on a, on a record, it just belongs on a CD sleeve. Um, That's how I know it. You know, yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine it bigger, but why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially because it's. It, I mean, literally, it's got to be the worst album artwork I have ever seen in my fucking <laughs> life. It's like every single one is just awful. I love it. You do? I, yes. <laughs> I would if I had this. You know, as a as a large format uh artwork you know if i had the original piece i would i would hang this on the wall i'm gonna send you jesus lizard wallpaper please please okay. i'll, I'll put right. it up everywhere right. your wife up is- in, well, I, uh, yeah well, she's never gonna see it she's <laughs> <laughs> um i would say up until obviously yeah down down is my last in my last hurrah for artwork right, well, and for music but we'll get there yeah yeah i'll just do uh all their major label stuff will be your wallpaper oh, okay there we go yeah <laughs> there then i may yeah i may feel that kind of nausea <laughs> yeah yeah all right so wax eater good song killer guitar work uh a good thing the guitar work especially the the vibe of the song has a very minutemen heavy stamp about it oh yeah i could hear That's that reminded me of but i like those two nothing great i don't think titan shiny's okay and then killer mccon is 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 good too but really i think pastoral is the last great song in the album oh man killer mccann that's that's the one i don't know maybe just i think about it live i think about it live but but no pastoral is beautiful i mean again it speaks to the band right they do many things you know i think pastoral would be some band's best song ever like the best song ever written but these this happens to be an explosively propulsive live kinetic band and so the song that killer mccann you know demonstrates that you know and so you got Mm -hmm. these you know it's almost like you have two or three bands going on i was just going to say like going back to like you know um a good thing every wax eater it's you know there's it I always think about the Texas part of it. I think when I learned later, I didn't know at the time when I was here first hearing these things, I just thought Chicago, whatever, whatever that place was. But then going back and, and adding Austin into the mix, even mm-hmm. though Dwayne's not from there, but there's, I, I, you know, putting a little Texas in the, in the, in the stew of music. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. There's a Texas kind of rockabilly sort of thing that I wasn't aware of at that. Like I say, at the time when I was first hearing this, but going and then looking at his work with uh, Hank the third and, you know, mm-hmm. some other stuff he's done. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. There's definitely a, a rockabilly. Yeah, he played with, him you know, a, a while later right i think so yes yeah after the breakup of, of yeah. Jesus Lizard. ultimately what do you give this record so head i think is going to be in that oh gosh i mean i uh oh great we can do three quarters right we can you do, do any any iteration any fraction <laughs> <laughs> so let's go let's go three and three quarters do you listen to the doughboys you know this podcast no 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 they, they review fast food chain restaurants and they go by forks so they can give it five forks uh-huh. or you can do five forks one time meaning it was four <laughs> times, three times. Uh, this, this, reminds nice. me of, uh, this would be uh, three and three quarters for me. Because it's, I'm ah, man, I mean, or a four. Let's just go to four. Okay, you're going to do four? four? There's, yeah, there's nothing that really takes it out of there. I just think they go on to do so much more. I'm trying to like build in the headroom. Yeah, know, that's the thing. I kind of, yeah. I typically tend to rate on a curve. But Jesus Lizard versus Motley Crue. You know what I mean? It's just, right. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, Motley Crue is like in the negative numbers where this would be, you know, off the chain. You know what I mean? So it's exactly, it's on a curve. Of, so within their own cat, within their own work. But you know, Kickstart I mean, My Heart this. is a great song though. Yeah, I can't stand that band. But okay, yeah. So yeah, I go, I go four. But then comes Goat. Go. masterpiece masterwork yeah, right and this is what they're going to forever be known for this exactly. is the, this is the record record yeah this is not uh, a bad song the whole thing it's their platonic ideal <clears throat> so much so that you know later on as i'm listening to other stuff i'm thinking you know why don't i just put on goat right yeah uh, i know they do it so well here then comes you want to take us through why don't you lead the charge here then comes dudley i mean it's it's a steamroller it's funny i had a friend in high school and uh we, we would go through um we would go through car washes and then try to find the perfect song you know those like automated car washes at a gas station yeah, yeah, yeah. and try to find the best song to time up with it it was kind of like our dark side of the moon so the laserian <laughs> sort of experience or like yeah. you know timing is something up and this song going through a car wash was the best was like the the that was the best version we came up with because you're you're sitting there and your your car is slowly being pulled into this like this mawing machine of of soap and suds and whips yeah, and yeah. you know and then the big the big roller comes down and you're just yeah. being hit by everything and like the sides are being slapped and the whole car is being cons- consumed I mean this just it felt like the most you know perfect uh allegory for a song like that is going through one of those 
automated car washes. That, that's yeah. really funny and very ironic because I intentionally did not take a shower today because it felt antithetical to the vibe. <laughs> you needed some some musk, some odor, yeah. Some, yeah. Some, some of that David Yao hairy chest. Kind of I mean, vibe. you know, I, yeah, I've been uh, been up since two thirty in the morning. I just walked three miles, but I was like, I got it. Just I got to feel it. If he could be <laughs> naked and throw himself into the, in, uh, you know, and try to crowd surf without a crowd to catch him. Oh my I god, just, I can go one day without a you shower. Can, you can do it. Yeah, yeah. To, to to the chagrin of everyone else that you, <laughs> exactly. uh, to, you inhabit your your life with. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. So then comes down. I mean, what an opener, right? It just, just right out there. Just like it's a steamroller. Just you're yeah. gonna. Here's where we start, and I'm just you were just gonna ride you, grind you into the ground like a nub. You call it steamroller. <clears throat> I have it in my notes as bulldozer. So there you go. Uh, Same thing. You know, right? Heavy, heavy machinery. What, and again, you know, talking, you know, the term like pig fucking or whatever this this genre is. I mean, a steamroller would be such a better term in my mind. You know what I mean? Or some kind of heavy yeah, machinery yeah. music or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's such a better apt description. Yao is throwing down the gauntlet here. You know, after the creeping dread of the intro of Then Comes Dudley, it feels like the way has been bulldozed clean for Yao to, to strike hot. Oh my God. Right. And then Mouth Breather comes in, that 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 guitar riff that just starts it. Um, now yeah. we're we're off we're off it. to the races. It, it's, yeah. Forget it. That very well could be their best song. You know what? I would I wouldn't argue with that. Do you want to talk about the story now from the Slint documentary? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about where this goes. Yeah. So, so the story is Britt Walford, the drummer for Slint, house sat at Steve Albini's house and lost the keys. And so he would sneak in through the attic window, you know, basically break, look like he was breaking into Albini's house for the week or a month or however long he lived there. And, and Albini's gets home and he's, he's goes into the studio to record with the Jesus lizard to make this record goat. And I guess he's retelling the story about Brit doing this to his house. And he says the line, don't get me wrong. He's a nice guy. I like him just fine, but he's a mouth breather. (laughs) And there, and then David takes that, you know, verbatim and puts it exactly into one of their best songs. What you did leave out is that Britt had lost the keys to the front door. He came home drunk one night. He ripped the front door down, and instead of putting it back on on the hinges and fixing it, he just nailed a bunch of two-by-fours up to fix the door. (laughs) And And he broke the toilet, and it was raining piss into the basement where steve's recording studio was set up so that gives you know the the asshole nature of the of the sentence a little bit more context and just (laughs) and a little bit more justifiable there you go yeah don't get me wrong he's a nice guy yeah like i'm just fine but he's a mouth breather it is a perfect song you know what chopped my fucking nuts off this time around is that you know when nub kicks in i'm like this song is just as fucking good as mouth breather it kind of is and yet it has a completely different vibe to it let's talk about the bottleneck slide work that's only for whatever stupid reason only showcased in a couple different tracks in their history that's what I'm saying. It's the, it goes to show, you know, the the many faces and the genius of Dwayne Dennison. I mean, the man, yeah. the man is is a guitar player's guitar player, but above and beyond, just a, a Swiss Army knife of, right. of 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 skill and and style and technique that just is is you know really endless. And he shows it off and does it so well. And I almost think if he were to do this, you know, three or four more times, the, you know, he would you you he would the, the could get threadbare. But but he wow. has the perfect version of each of these little techniques and these styles, and it just. It's gorgeous. Yeah, Mouth Breather is very nineties. Um, I say that in the we with with, with <laughs> all due respect. <clears throat> and then Nub, it almost feels like it has almost an Almond Brothers boogie style classic rock ass shaking thing going Ooh, on with it. Yeah. And that's gotta yeah, yeah, be totally. the, that's gotta be the the bottleneck slide. Yeah, just that. Yeah, but you're right though. I mean, the, the drums are you know it's this tom kind of work, and I mean, and really, yeah. I mean, I think this record is really where you sort of distill d- the, the Albini jesus lizard you know sound that those drum the room in the drums right you're, you're yeah, hearing yeah. all this there's all this tom work but it's not um lost you know all the floor tom stuff it's bouncy around you but you hear it moving in the room there's air around those drums i mean there's right. you know there's it's, people could write a thesis about yeah. you know record engineering on this record 
and how the, those drums sound. I mean, this would be this would be the drum sound to define drum sounds, right? You, you know? just tell you he fucking put the mic in the right places. And good for him. I'm sure that's yeah. what it. But I mean, yeah, not not to take away you know Mac's ability to tune a drum kit, I guess, and obviously to play it. But you know, I, as you know, we'll go on to see. You know that there it, it changes. The changes, you know, when he's not there. So I give Mac a lot of that, that credit, but yeah. I got to give Albini some something, some some props. He deserves a lot of credit. Yeah. Yeah. Also, lyrically, good to know that this is about a kid who sticks his arm out, out the window of a bus and gets it. Uh, <laughs> so it's about his fucking phantom limb. Again, uh, another brilliant lyrical conceit. Right. And again, there speaks to the body horror and sort of the poetic yeah. and artistic nature. I think of, you know, David Yao has uh, motifs, right? Or things yeah. that, you know, I think he's very aware, obviously, of his body and how he uses it. I mean, I would, um, uh, Paul McCarthy, not Paul McCartney, not the Beatle, but the, the, the deranged Southern California performance artist, Paul McCarthy. Are you familiar with him? I, I'm not. I would imagine Yao was aware of him, or if not, you know, it's kind of parallel thing. Thinking. He was he, Paul McCarthy uh, existed in the seventies and the eighties, nineties, kind of in, in vague obscurity. But he worked a lot with um, his body. Like he would be in, in similar kind of Gigi Allen type of thing of using, you know, food and fecal matter and these sort of scenarios of almost childlike. Um, uh, he would use masks a lot, and you know, he, one piece. I remember he, there was a big retrospective at LACMA uh, in the early two thousands. Um, but one piece, you know, he'd put shit on his face and rubbed it all across the wall. For Four walls of a room and sort of in the 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 piece the, the documentation the, the the video and still photos of the room but also working a lot with like ketchup and mustard and kind of on his body and with like pinocchio things i think one of his more famous pieces is, is this uh life-size uh statue of pinocchio with his um with his genitalia is like kind of penis as a as like a garden hose flesh colored mm -hmm. garden hose that sort of piles up and almost like a rattlesnake you know or cobra like sort of coil beneath him you know what i mean so there's 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 something in this kind of world but the yeah, idea yeah. of you know about like missing your bodies and, and kind of the disgusting nature of this of our sort of viscera of the human form it's I funny think. all of these bands right around the same time all of them in the albini's basement they're all concerned and preoccupied with the same shit. Yeah. Pixie's got the same thing. Uh, PJ Harvey, to a lesser extent, Nirvana. But they right, were all yeah. like, uh, what is my body? What is this <laughs> arm do? You know, things right. like that. Where, uh, does, where does the body end? Where, do I, where yeah. does the self, this existential sort of like self, the tactile sort of uh, investigation or uh, yeah. the section? Well, look at, and that, spe that speaks to the cover art, right? Too. Are you familiar? Yeah, his body. It looks like flames, but it's, but it's it's his body is that what it's it is? her no it's okay they're saying it's a topless woman with a close-up image right, of males right, right. projected onto her body right yeah so it's the sort of, i always thought it was like a mannequin sort of taken off you know with like the skin taken off or something but yeah. there you go yeah nails projected onto a woman's body right so you sort of yeah it's it's they're very out they're very forthright you know these aren't hidden messages or hidden. is there is there a drug thing going on here i mean i don't know I, I look, don't know. I'm sure, they did heroin, but I didn't come up with anything uh, about drug abuse or who knows. There's never been. I've never seen any documentation of of exactly what you know. If anyone went to rehab or had that type of thing, I mean, I would imagine, you know, alcoholism probably played large parts in right. a lot of this work. But but I, I don't know if it was uppers, downers, amphetamines, or I, I I've never seen it documented or talked about. I just assumed that uh, that these guys that drugs played a part in their dissolution, but I really have no idea. You know, nothing <clears throat> nothing leaped out to yeah. me about that. And, so. and the, yeah, there's not a song called Heroin like the Velvet right, right. that, that would give you the the necessary you know sort of like oh well that's what they're into. So seasick. I oh. love seasick, man. Yeah. I love the barren arrangement. I love the simplicity of the lyrical approach, that hook of just screaming, I can't swim over and over again. Mm -hmm. This is a masterpiece. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, this is this is where the, you get into the, the guts and the meat and the good stuff of just this yeah. band. Right. You know what I mean? And lyrics that that do that just kind of capture you and you're you're locked in and, and they it really feels like four pieces moving as one, right? This is yeah. really the definition right. of a band firing on all cylinders. If anyone wanted to know what that sounded like, what you know, a band that's <laughs> all in the same all in the same boat paddling in the same direction together. Literally, I mean, middle, well, not literally, of this record, boat, right? but all literally right. playing in, at one time when that used to happen. So 
Monkey Trick, don't know if you knew this. Ooh, but, uh, Irish yeah. game. What a great song, man. Yeah. The, the lumbering, creeping dread kind of a thing that they do. This is probably the best of those that they ever did. It's Yao's favorite song that they ever did. Oh, wow. It's amazing. Like I said, yeah, this is what really got me into him on Lash. I think that was maybe the EP that came out after this. That's mm-hmm. why I heard that first. And that right. was the song that I just was like, I've... I've never, I've, you know, carved a new pathway in my brain. I had no, I had no experience of how to classify music like this until I heard that. And then I right. said, yes, now, now there is a hole. I want to fill it <laughs> with things that, that check all these boxes. Right. And just little things that you grab onto, like little buoys that you can kind of float with, like, uh, like the line body parts all over this town. <clears throat> They're really stamping and premature on the, you know, the feel and the vibe of this thing. Yeah. And it goes up that, that kind of that sort of bridge, you know what I mean? It's not quite a chorus, but you know, it's like pl- plodding along and then it goes high, but yeah, it's that tension tension release sort of thing i think they just did so well and i think you know yeah. maybe you'd put a, a band like fugazi you know who we haven't really talked about we talked about ian mckay's kind of discord mm-hmm. sort of thing but the the musical sort of style of fugazi i think kind of has some play or some part of this sort of early 90s or mid 90s you know the tension release build up and release kind of thing how long can you hold on that part i mean being in a band being a teenager and trying to like being influenced by these types of bands like no we're gonna play this thing 16 times like don't play that part twice or four times we're right. gonna go 32 times and then it goes big like oh okay yeah, yeah it's an art to know that. how much of uh, you know a good hook or a good section to milk yeah. On the one side of things, you have Robert Pollard, who gives you three seconds of the great hook and never repeats it. <laughs> yeah. And then you get then you get somebody else who's you know knows what they have, and so by the time you're you're done listening to the track once, you're sick of it. Right. Right. Yeah. Too much. I think it's yeah. I think you know it's a, a track like Monkey Trick. You know, definitely is that like you got to feel you're feeling it out. I'm sure I've had many many experiences. You know, post listening to the, to this record and kind of you know jamming something out. Like no, just hold on let's just hang it longer you know and then then you got to go back and count how many times did i play that part did i play this many times i don't even know and you know you tighten it up or gotta go longer and then and then the 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 tension and the heightening of it like how do we where does it get bigger but but just what a great you know i think line from you know not being necessarily in four four time or not being you know this like verse chorus verse chorus kind of thing that obviously kurt cobain hated so much and did so well you know i can see where you know a band like Jesus Lizard and songs like Monkey Trick, it's not these, they're not writing pop songs. They're writing these other kind of song forms, ideas. Yeah. You know, you could map onto those things, but they just feel so alien to that idea of something to be played on the radio or like, you know, Sugar Sugar or something. I love Sugar Sugar, by the way. Right. It's a pop um, song, but it's not with, you know, two, two people doing two different things for two different reasons. Right. Right. So do you read music? No. No? Okay. Carpus. Carpus is a cool song. You know, really, I think Carpus and Rodeo in Joliet are Uh the only two that are not as good as the rest. You know, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, I think you know that would sometimes I would I would play this you know this record for other people or for friends and stuff, and sometimes I would get the, the sounds like spy music. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think a, a song Carpus is a you know if they were to have rebooted. Dun, 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 oh yeah, that's all right. Where we at? South Mouth. Love South Mouth. I feel like if they streamlined their approach, if they were interested in a broader level of success without selling themselves out they could have gone down this path and i think more people would be would be talking about them today because these guys they've been kind of erased a little bit from history have they i mean nobody i don't think anyone really knows about these guys if you look on social media oh wow there's no there's no jesus lizard official account (laughs) you know there's like a big hole how strange, right? Like, I guess that's just keeping up with the formats, you know, right. of our platform shiftings of things. Like, yeah, I mean, but who, you know, Captain Beefheart doesn't have a social media account, I and mean, he exists in, in culture, doesn't he? In some way, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. But you know, but no, yeah. I mean, yeah. But you look at, for example, Nirvana. There's oh, like, well, there's that's... like, I don't even know how many people on Instagram. It seems like the only thing they do is collate and publish uh, found pictures of Kurt Cobain. Right. Well, you know, I think it has to be, you know, Kurt Cobain looked like Brad Pitt. You know? right. <laughs> Kurt right. Cobain was, 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 was a poster boy and, a, you know, but with, with phenomenally good looking cheekbones and a horrible drug habit that, you know, that caused him to only weigh 98 pounds and he ticks he off like a model. Yeah. You know, and I, I think David Yao's, you know, hatchet 
shaped face was never going to allow him to, you know, he's not the person yeah, yeah. that 14 year old girls are going to put posters up of their, on their wall of it. In and this then world, most, that, most importantly, know. Randy, he lived. Right. There you go. He lived. Yeah. So, yeah. So, they're, 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 so therefore the punishment is he does not get to be on social media. I think he's, I think in some ways, you know, clearly the winners in, in, the, in the, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, interesting. It's a funny one. I feel like the, 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 the hammer has not come down on the final, the final, um, estimation of the band. Right. I think, I think, I, they I, are, totally they, I think they are going to be the, I don't know. I, I think to me, you know, they're such a quintessential, hugely influential band. That I just, I, mean, I have to, I have to have faith that I'm not the only one out there. And I, you know, in these reunion shows, I've been to both the, you know, the last two reunion runs they did and they were packed. Was it comparable to the experience you'd had when you were much younger? No, because I'm not that age, and they're not that age. They were, uh, but I would say, um, I would, you know, it sounded like it sounded like the record. No, but I mean, what he did do was, you know, have you seen footage of this from this last reunion they did? Three, three, four years ago, two years ago, um, uh, pre-pandemic. So the band starts, and and Yao comes out in a uh, uh, a white poodle mask and a white bathrobe. And it's gorgeous. And again, this is performance art, right? I mean, this is a, clearly a genius guy with visuals and understanding of performance in his body and what it does and what it looks like. And walks out, start, and it's almost this like um, uh, Jodorowsky film or something, you know, mm-hmm. this like poodle, this like, you know, poodle <laughs> priest walking out to the front of the stage on all white. And, um, and then he sticks his hands into this large white bucket and pulls out this black powder almost like you know like gunpowder or some kind of graphite just finely almost like liquid and and proceeds to like wash his hands in it as the band's playing and then like bathes his face in it so now this all white poodle mask and black and white you know bleached white stuff just is now covered in this like black almost blood like type of thing he's like bathing himself in this and then and then that's the end of the first song <laughs> and then and then the and then the mask comes the poodle mask comes off and he has a bald head where he looks like Elmer Fudd. He has a bald cap on. And again the the and now he's singing and, and the the slowly the the now black um uh robe comes off and he's shirtless in in, in Levi's and cowboy boots and and with this Elmer Fudd head on. And and again continues to sing and the, the black goo and you know liquid powdery goo stuff it gets everywhere, and it's just it's just enriching. You know what I mean? Now yeah. here we are, fifteen yeah. minutes, twenty minutes into this thing, I'm just like I've not taken my eyes off of him right. for one second. You know, for this entire thing going on, like what, what the fuck is happening? This is not what I thought it was. This isn't what it was what I was looking for. This was completely surprising, original, shocking, but without crossing lines into you know emulating himself, you know, setting himself on fire, you know, but it's still just as shocking and scary and disturbing and weird. And just I love un- unexpected. the word enriching that you just used. Oh. I mean, it, it, as far as it applies to this is a an oh. interesting word. What is the most enriching show you've ever seen? I mean, a uh, juice lizard is up there. I think uh, uh, the boredoms I okay. saw and was in a moment of just kind of like that laughing, crying, smiling sort of moment. And, and again, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a very visceral kind of band that builds on, you know, with drones and, and repetition yeah. you know, in a kraut rock sort of way. And, and just, I remember just being like this, I don't know what this is. And just kind of being, my mind is almost shutting off and it's like, stop thinking and just kind of experiencing it. What, what uh, era of the band did you see them for? of the, uh, the boredoms this was this was uh like 2009 so it was later, like super but. ae i don't know i don't have, i'm not even a huge fan of their records i have the you know i had some and and I, but i yeah it was like it was just a weird live experience i'd say for me the anyway. it's uh you know there's relative merits to all kinds of different shows but as far as pure strip back rock and roll of the kind that we're talking about today mm-hmm. it would be sleater kinney for the dig me out tour Ooh, that was great i did see him on that that, that was, was awesome. unreal it was unreal uh what we're at is lady shoes so let me ask uh, yeah. you pointedly have you you know the lyrics right yes i don't so know anybody is, that's not coming to mind yeah exactly this but is yeah. his version of the aristocrats aristocrat uh, right okay so, just to give a quick version of it 
There's a girl. Oh, right. Yeah. And then someone comes in, then the doctor comes in. Right. Right. right exactly. Yeah. Great song. Rodeo in Joliet graded on a bell curve. I'm just bummed that this last song wasn't more of a fist in the face. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. I think it, it, it goes on, you know, I think there's a better version of this type of riff. I must think like um, art of self-defense or something else, or there's, there's other songs that, that they, where they do this vibe better. Right, they it do. Does, the, it does yeah. kind of whimper out, that's but so much only, of it's so yeah. good, right? I mean, yeah, so yeah. much. I, I mean, look, that's the only that thing one I have out to of, say. Yeah, one out of ten songs it is that doesn't just completely knock your teeth in. Yeah, and they put it at the end. They were smart enough to do that. At least they didn't bury it. You know, in the middle, they knew kind of like, yeah, that's the last one. I give. I give this uh, four, four and three quarters. Oh, I mean, this is a five for me. Of, yeah, of, yeah. Of, if, of, of Jesus Lizard Records, this is the height, obvious. And I think, you know, I'm not the only right. one to say this. I think no, no, no. I think Goat Goat is the high point. It's the thing that will be, you know, if you were to tell somebody like, oh, what does that band sound like? You would say, put on Goat, you know, listen to that. And you get you get a fairly comprehensive snapshot of, of what they do. And then, you know, obviously there's iterations and there's, there's nuances and creeks and paths you can take to uh, further expand on their, 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 you know, with who they are. But that's, this is, a, this is the primer. This is one of those, you know, interesting cases where it's like they have this one thing that they do. And so they, you know, for, for years, we're whittling, 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 and came up with the perfect iteration of it. So while there's other albums that are great, this if you only had this record, you would be doing okay. Absolutely. All right, that just about does it. Thanks for joining us. A heartfelt discography thanks goes out to our graphic designer, Todd Zimmer, and my beautiful wife and son, Jen and Mason, not to mention, of course, Randy Randall and Drag City, uh, and of course, our Patreon community, you soldiers of sound are what keep me going every day. And be sure to stay tuned, because this Tuesday brings upon us another incredible episode of Discography's The Private Press with Paul Major, wherein you'll be introduced to a whole new world of music there's very little chance you've either heard or heard of before not to mention this thursday's wildcard episode as well of course you'll also want to tune in a week from today for part two of the jesus lizard right here in the place to which you come to say fuck you life i'm a music lover this is what i do so keep your needless bullshit to yourself and let me dissolve into dave's endless programming as an alternative to reality stay gold motherfuckers it's this